If you're joining us tonight, and this is your first or second time here, we've been going through uh, a series here on persecution, Christian persecution. A lot of people could be persecuted for a lot of different things. A lot of people say, oh, I'm so persecuted. And maybe they brought it upon themselves. There are all sorts of things that can happen in life. But we've been talking about Christian persecution. Four-part series. I do encourage you, if you haven't heard the others, to go back and listen to them. Share them with your friends if you think it would be a blessing to them. We talked about how it's a reality. Persecution for Christians is not something reserved for people in North Korea or China or maybe even Western Europe now. You'll find it's even increasing there. Or as COVID showed in Canada, where pastors were being arrested, there were helicopters over homes because they dared to gather in their house. They dared to gather there and they were being thrown in jail. It's a fact that persecution will happen. The type, the severity, that, that, that's in question depending on where we are and what time frame. But it has been said that by the Lord, if you want to live godly in Christ, you will be persecuted. We spoke about the reason for persecution. It's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that brings it because there are two kingdoms and two kingdoms only. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. That's what he said. He left it really clear. He drew drew a line in the sand. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And it's not a question of, well, look, I don't really want to be involved in this battle. I don't really want, you know, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. But whenever you became a disciple of Jesus, you signed up for warfare. Whenever you were born again, the armor of God was available to you. That's why he said, count the cost. That's why he said, count the cost. You can stay where you are, and that's okay. It's your choice. I'm not going to force you. Just like in the garden, God did not force man. He gave an option. Why did he do that? Because he would not force himself. He gave the opportunity so that man might choose. And so Jesus issued it out. He didn't say, just come to the altar, lift your hands, and say the certain prayer. He said, count the cost of what it means to follow me. I want you to. I'll give you all the grace to be able to stand. I'll help you in this fight. I am the king. You're not alone. I'll never leave or forsake you. But it's a real battle. So that line is drawn. And it's there. And that's what happens. Because Satan hates God. And he hates the God who lives in you. And how amazing that a God, the only God, does live within us. Simply amazing. And tonight, I want to talk about the response to persecution. How should I respond? Or what are the responses that can occur when persecution comes to my life? And just like with every single time we're talking during the series, we frame it with this question. Is he worthy? Because I think if you don't frame this discussion and this study with that question, things get all skewed. Things get hard. If you don't know the why of life, let's say you even want to lose weight or you want to do something, you want to fit into certain clothes that we used to fit in. Uh, From 14 to 24, I could wear the same pair of jeans and lo and behold, when I got married, nothing fit like it used to. My goodness, what happened? I guess we got happy. For any other reason, if you don't have a why in your goal or what you're doing, you become discouraged. And if in our life, We actually start doing church and just doing Christianity, but we forget the why. Jesus, the one who loves me, the one whom I love, the one who saved me. It's because of him. Well, that's our why for persecution. Is he worthy? 
And the answer is a resounding yes. And just like we learned and we were reminded of out of Revelation 4 and 5 on prayer meeting on Sunday night from Pastor Lee, all they can say in heaven is, worthy, worthy, worthy. So if we have the question, skip to the end of the book. Go to the end if you don't want to look all through it. And all the bumps and bruises. At the end of the day, was it worthy for those who follow Jesus? Wow. It must be because it says that some of them who had lost their life for the name of Jesus, they had washed their garments white in the blood of the Lamb. They cry, worthy, worthy, worthy. It was worth it. But for those who didn't, a certain torment and a destruction. Because that's what they chose. That's what they decided. But they don't have to go there. Open up to the book of uh, Luke chapter 6, please. Our verse for this has been Luke six twenty-two to 23. And, you know, it's amazing how much richness and power there is in all of the Word of God. And whenever the Lord begins to enlighten us to what's already there that He's put in, there's a lot to unpack. And in Luke six twenty two to 23, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. They just drag it through the mud. It's a curse word. You're treated as evil. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Wow. So what are we going to do whenever persecution, if or when it comes. I mean, because I, I'm assuming that if we're in here, if, if you follow Jesus, you want to live godly. I know that if you really do follow Jesus, you have a Holy Spirit who lives within you, who shows you when you don't live godly. He shows me that. He brings conviction. One of the first things that happened to me whenever I was born again, no one was around me. Of course, I'd heard the word of God from somewhere. I'd heard the gospel, but alone in Tigerland in my brother's apartment on my futon for a bed, I simply cried out, take it all, Jesus. Just take it all. That's it. But then I began praying all the time and conviction flooded my heart now with the sin that I used to want to just simply hide and not let people know about. Even when no one saw, there was this reality. He lives within me. So he, I knew he wanted me to live godly. And if he lives within you, he's the same exact God that this book says he is. And so he is working in you to be godly by his grace. He's doing that us every day. So that means we, there's going to be a clash of light and of dark. But what will we do when that clash of light and dark happens? I've, re, I've really had my world wrecked this past week. And, and I really mean that I know we can use hyperbole hyperbolic language, like, oh man, it was awesome, you know, and it was just kind of so-so, it was all right, you know, but I really have just sat there and had a lot of soul searching done in my heart, and I really think that a good person to look at would be Peter. What did he do when there was hatred, exclusion, reviled, treated as evil? What would we do when our job is lost? If our church was shut down, if your family is taken away, Right? I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, I love my little boys. What would I do if they were taken away? What would I do if it was for the name of Jesus? If friends and former church members betray you, because that's what happens when real persecution, heavy persecution comes. They, 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 they can sometimes take a government job. 
They can sometimes just save their hide, their skin. Judas is a perfect type of that. He's a perfect example. He was becoming wealthy when he sold Jesus out with a kiss. And history bears this out again and again. This happens. This happens. Whenever your children are denied education, unless you go along with what is being said, you're barred. Or your parents, they go to church like this, so they can't go to higher education. Or if you're put on house arrest, or even jail, or other things. In Matthew 26, and I love Peter, you know, we have that phrase, and I'm assuming it's from Peter. It says, you know, he just petered out. I think that's kind of rough. Because what's in Peter is just exactly who I am. It's who I am. Peter is just raw and real. You want to know what you are? Go look at Peter. That's, a, that's who you are. You're not the hero of the story. We're not David slaying the giant. That's Jesus. We are Peter in the garden whenever things hit. And uh, Matthew 26, verse 50. Jesus said to him, speaking to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels. That's thousands and thousands of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords, clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. First, he retaliated, right? What are you talking about, man? Lose my job. You know how much I, you know what I mean? Just like, that, that's, that's who I am. I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm mean. If someone says something, I want to kind of like defend myself in that moment. Arguments fill my mind of why they're wrong and why I'm right. Or, you know what I mean? That, that's me. That's, that's what, that is what I do inside. Or, they fled. That's instinct. Defending ourselves. Instinct. Later, a, a, a young lady comes to Peter and says, weren't you with them in the garden? No. Remember Jesus said, Peter said to Jesus, I will never deny you. This bold Peter, and one minute he's got a sword chopping some guy's ear off, and then in the next minute, just a couple hours later, there's a young lady. Not of a high status, not of high education, probably not very assertive, a maid, servant there. Weren't you? No, no, no. And then another girl comes along, a different one. Weren't you with them? Your accent betrays you. No, 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 no. And he calls down a curse upon himself. So he hides. He's denying Christ. That's instinct. And this same Peter, in Galatians chapter 2, he was hanging out with all of the Gentiles, eating unkosher food with these uncircumcised people. And then all of a sudden, all these folk come up from Jerusalem who are Jewish Christians, they are circumcised, they, don't, they only eat kosher, and now the pressure comes on him. Will you stand for the real gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, which tore down the wall? And we see he compromised because of fear of man, is what it said. He said he feared those 
that came from James in Jerusalem. He was afraid. He compromised. And that's instinct. That's my instinct. That is your instinct. That is who we are, even as believers. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you should fall. But what did Jesus say we are to do? And this is where it started to get extremely uncomfortable. In Luke 6, 27, if you want to go there and read it with me, I'll let you flip there and you can catch up. It says, but I say to you, hear, who, who, you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Haven't you seen Kickstart? Haven't you seen all those fundraising things? Or even people who don't know Jesus, such and such a person fell into a hard time. We know them, love them. Let's all raise money. Some people will go and they'll donate money even on, you know, PayPal. If you look at the bottom and scroll down far enough, there are these little causes that you don't even know about, but you can give to. Because there is actually a desire within human man Though we are ruined and completely wicked and evil, we have the image of God within us, though deeply, deeply scarred and marred, where we do these things that are, could be considered kind. Even lost people are kind to those who are kind to them. Sometimes they can even be more kind than we as believers. They can be, and we can learn from that. But Christ calls us to something more. He said, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners... Lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. We're being called upon to be just like little children who say, I want to be just like Dad. I want to be just like my Dad. And we might have had skewed and fathers and things like this and carry around wounds from them, but we have a good and loving heavenly father. And he's saying, I want you to cry out to me. I want to be just like him. And God says, what am I like? My rain falls on the people who love me and the people who behead people because they don't follow their religion overseas. Why would you do that, God? Because I am merciful to those who hate me. That's why Jesus on the cross could say, Father, don't lay this charge against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's merciful. I was being torn apart by this passage. Because I am a red-blooded American. And I, I believe in my Second Amendment right. And I believe in my ability to defend myself. And I believe this. And now I'm bringing this to bear with what Jesus is saying. And this is rubbing against me. It's coming against my nature as a human who I am. But who wins? Who has to win? Is it the word of God or not? This is a passage that I have really loved. Uh, and I wouldn't have said these words. But to kind of like. Kinda, I'm going to visit that later. I'm, I'm going to come back to that one. You know sanctification. Answered prayer. My defender. All this. 
but love your enemies. I just don't understand it. And so you just kind of keep going and, and get the good stuff, right? We leave the veggies over there. Give me the meat. Give me the dessert. But this is hard. It's very hard. And I think we can get really stuck if we're looking for black and white. Just tell me what to do, Jesus, just like this, just like that. And that is how we wound people. That is how I have wounded people. And that is how we get mistakes in Christianity and in our own lives. Is when we take something like this and we allow zero nuance. We don't allow God to say, how do I take this into account with this over here in the Bible too? And allow ourselves to wrestle through it and say, God, instead of skipping this passage because I don't understand it, I'm going to camp out here. And I'm going to let it say what I think it says right here. And I'm going to let you teach me. I'm going to let you show me. Because I know what's going to happen is, though it's uncomfortable, you're going to do something in me by this. And I want to read one commentary. It says, this was clearly the attitude that Jesus himself displayed towards his enemies. He healed the slashed ear of the servant of the high priest, who had come with others to arrest him on the Mount of Olives. He forgave the sins of a paralyzed man and a sinful woman. Remember, Jesus said to one man, go and sin no more. Lest the worst thing should come upon you. He had compassion on the women of Jerusalem. He assured the penitent thief on the cross that he would be with him in paradise. This was also the attitude of the early Christians who accepted persecutions. Listen to this. It's a heart thing without hatred towards the persecutors. Instead, they rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Acts 5.41 and like manner, Paul and Silas sang hymns and prayed after be, being beaten severely and flogged. And Paul shouted out in concern to save the life of the Philippian jailer who was on the point of committing suicide. Maybe you would have been quiet. Let's see what he does. I mean, he beat the mess out of me. My back is ripped open. I'll probably get infected. Not sure if I'll make it. I'm going to let him do it. He had it come into him, Right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let me let him go. No, don't do it. We're all here. And then he ends up getting saved. And his family gets saved too. Perhaps the most remarkable expression of forgiveness comes from the lips of the dying Stephen who prayed for his enemies. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Not, Lord, remember me. Avenge me. Like, what is that? The princess bride, I am whatever, whatever. You kill my father, prepare to die. That is not what he said. He said, don't charge them with this sin. But I really believe that this is really about the attitude of the heart. What is my predisposition if this happens? Am I on edge, this kind of uptight person? You know, like a Jack Russell Terrier or something like that when something happens? Am I a yapper, spiritually speaking? When I see something happen, this is a miracle. We got freedom of speech. Yes, it is. But those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. At some point, if the Lord tarries, then the night will come upon America as we know it. Just as, like it has on Babylon. Just like it has on Greece. Just like it did on Israel. Praise God for America. Praise God for the time we've been living in. But my goodness, America was really hard to live in right around the revolution. One in five was a drunk. 
One in five was always at the taverns. There was the Haystack revivals of the 1800s, 1700s, whenever that was. So one of, some of y'all will know about it. Whenever you professed to follow Jesus on an American college campus, you were hated, tarred and feathered. Even some of the seminaries, they would make fun of you. They would run you around in the hall, kicking you in the backside, treating you like this. We are not guaranteed an eased life. What is my heart attitude? And if we're plugged in to Newsmax, Fox News, whatever your flavor, our heart attitude probably won't be very good. If we're getting riled up every time Instagram, Facebook shows something we don't like, and our blood pressure goes up, we need to come to the scripture and just say, do surgery on me. I'm too sensitive. I'm too much of a raw nerve. My God, if I can't run with the footmen, what in the world am I going to do with the horses? What can I do? And I speak for myself. Do I have intimacy with the one whose name I bear? I've been drawn as close as I can be to Jesus. I know we say, I want to get close to Jesus. He adopted us to himself in the cross. We're right there. I don't have to work through reading, praying, fasting, or service to get close to Jesus. If that is your understanding, that's wrong. We simply make room for him to operate. Room for his presence to be manifested. Room that I might experience everything he has given me. And that is why we do those things. That I might know him more. This God who I have been brought close to. And that is what those disciplines and things are for. But if I don't avail myself myself, of the grace of God through these things, how will I stand and what will my heart be like? What will my attitude be? If persecution comes, because at that point, when it happens and you're in the moment, when, if I'm in the moment, it's all about our heart attitude that's been prepared beforehand and our reliance on the Holy Spirit in that moment. When Jesus said, take no thought what you're going to say, he wasn't calling us, allowing us to be lazy people who don't study their Bibles and say, well, when I, you know, I just trust the Lord. He said he's going to bring it back to me in that moment. That was about persecution being brought before the ruling authorities to his disciples. Also applies to us, I believe, saying in that moment, don't worry. You're going to be afraid, but I'm going to speak. And oh boy, am I going to speak. Just like Peter said, you might say this. You might tell us, but we cannot help but speak the name of Jesus. And it says they took notice that they had been with Jesus because they were uneducated people. We live in the word of God, I hope. We, we, we ask, help me live in it more. Help me study it more. But in that moment, every bit of preparation, we have to trust in him completely. We must depend upon the Holy Spirit every day. And whenever we want to understand how am I supposed to react to persecution, we need to read all of the Bible. All of the Bible. All of the counsel of God that I might be taught Because there's no black and white answer in certain aspects. Even the one that says, turn the other cheek. Brother Richard, could you stand up real quick? I want to show you something here, and I'm not going to hit you. When it says, turn the other cheek, 90% of all humanity is right-handed. Scientific fact, ask Google today. It was a special thing when people were left-handed. Just go read the Bible and the Kings and the Chronicles. It was special. They would actually call out, and then they had 10,000 of these warriors all left-handed. So the majority of mankind has been right-handed. So if I'm going to strike someone on the right cheek, I have to backhand him like this. The worst and gravest insult 
of all the Near East at that time was to backhand someone across the face. And if I'm going to give him my left cheek, I've got to turn so he can hit me again. Terrible, terrible, terrible insult, right? But my life isn't being threatened in that moment, is it? Oh, my life was being torn apart by the scripture. And then I began to realize in the scriptures and meditated on it. This is the lowest of persecution. You want my outer garment? You, you want this shirt? You want me to walk a mile with you? I, I know that things happen at that time, but we're being taught something here. You want me to give both cheeks to a backhand to the most insulting thing? Maybe it'll be verbal. Maybe it will be physical. You want me to give that to you? Now, he, we have to read the whole Bible because some people ran. Some people did speak when they were hit. Jesus himself spoke up. It says, when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Paul ran from it. It says in Acts 9.23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening of the wall, lowering him in a basket. He didn't give his cheek in that moment. His life was on the line. Paul was about to be beaten at one point, but he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. They were shouting and throwing off their cloaks. They were flinging dust into the air. The tribune, or, tribune ordered him to be brought to the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. And when they say examined by flogging, what they mean is beat you an inch into your life until you tell them what they want to hear. And they were shouting, but when they had stretched him out for whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen? He didn't let them hit him. He used an opportunity in that moment to actually escape what was going to come upon him. And then great fear came upon the people who were about to do that, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen. He had bound him, and he could have been put to death per the law. He even appealed in the court system, speaking of Paul in Acts 25. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. Don't just send me off to be killed, because it's convenient to you politically. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. What do I do? I feel like Scripture is contradicting itself. Paul, you're not making this whole Christianity thing easy. Can't you just give me some formula? No. Jesus would say, no. Because following Jesus is not boiling it all down to some principles that you follow. Though principles are good and can guide us, as one person has said, through the dark of night, and Proverbs is filled with them, following Jesus is more than principles. Confuse me more, Paul. Okay, I will. Acts 20, 22 to 25. 
And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what, what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. He had a course to finish, and he knew it. To testify to you the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul knew his course. He knew it because he lived intimate with God. He lived intimately with Jesus. How will we know what to do in that moment when Jesus has said, turn the other cheek, and yet we see Paul speaking up or fleeing a city when he's the same one who got stoned maybe to death, rises up, he doesn't go to the next city, he goes back into that city first, ties up his loose ends, then he goes to the next city. And then he goes back on that journey after he's raised up to the original cities he came from before to encourage the disciples. I have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit. I've got to hear his voice. That is what we need. That has got to be our reaction to persecution. Know the scriptures beforehand. Be intimate with him now. And be intimate with him then. Really, the answer to my reaction is nothing different than it is now. Be a disciple of Jesus. Follow him now. When the athlete trains, it's not... 10 minutes before the game starts, when they're shown his stats on the screen before the Super Bowl, if he does, he will be destroyed. He will be wrecked. But every person, they train themselves before. And we're trained. We're trained by God. Titus 2, 11 through 15, his grace trains us actively, making us more like him, exposing the darkness of my heart, showing me how to forgive others. Like Jesus said, if they do this to me in the green tree, what will they do in the dry? If they do this and they treat you like this while I'm here, the living water and bread of life, what will they do when I'm gone? If we have trouble following him now, if COVID is any indication, 33% of people left church and are not expected to return. If you left church... That's between you and the Lord. You know whether it was right or not, and you've probably had time to reflect. Maybe someone was immunocompromised, etc. That's not where we're going here. But what I'm trying to say is, not every person was immunocompromised of 33% of the professing church. They just slipped out. They went out. What in the world would happen tomorrow if real persecution came? Or even like frogs, it began to go up. We can't obey the least of Christ's commandments now. How can we possibly expect to do it then? He said, if you, if you love me, you obey my commandments. It's not trying harder. It's me falling on my knees saying, I want to love you. I don't love you like I should. Thank you. You're going to help me love you. It's an expectation of his goodness. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And that he goes before them. Psalm 1023 Psalm 10, 23. Psalm 23 speaks to us about a valley of the shadow of death, but also a table stretched out before his enemies. What if that table is in heaven? What if the finality 
I would dare to say the finality of that is heaven. With him at a table, feasting, like Jesus said. I will not drink this cup anymore until I drink it with you in heaven. The Jews even had an idea of this. Blessed is he who's going to eat bread in heaven. There will be a table of the Lord and there will be enemies. And he will prepare a table. Perhaps they will see that table finally prepared before the shepherd and his sheep. What an awesome thing to expect. What an awesome thing. But he says he goes before his sheep. Now, I must hear my shepherd's voice now. And if times like that were to come of persecution, I can expect he will speak. It's not a question of, is he speaking? He has spoken and continues to speak. And as I put myself in the word, he begins to reveal. Reveal what he has spoken. And speak life to me every day for my now. I want a prayer life now. I want his word in my heart now. I need to disciple my family now. If I can't disciple them now and I neglect them, what would possibly happen? Like that wonderful video that we watched. The man, he was, he was not this great man. He was an engineer, showed up to work, did what he was supposed to do. Then one day he's like, you know what? I need to disciple my children. I need to show them who Jesus is. He, he stunk at it, his wife said. He was terrible. He began to recite stories with his kids. Then they would recite it. They're reading. They're doing all this together. It doesn't have to be complicated. For us, with our kids, we're not some geniuses who disciple our kids. We try to pray with them. We try to teach them how to rebuke the devil in Jesus' name whenever they were afraid. You know, to teach them that. Spiritual authority in Jesus. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. I mean, just these bare bones. Right? And then they're here. They're among God's people in the church. Ezra said something to me profound yesterday. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like, I was like, wow. I said, where did you hear that? He said, you told that to me. And I'm thinking, did I tell you that? Maybe, maybe I did, but I had no clue you were listening. But somehow it got in. It got in there. And now he's teaching me and preaching to me. Oh, God, help us to be good stewards of our families in whatever way that looks like. Even just five minutes, a couple times a week together. Let God grow it. Let him show us what to do. And I need to understand the value of church, the real church, the called out ones, the assembly of the firstborn from the dead. It was to a persecuted church that Hebrews was written. People ready to go back to Judaism because their things were being stolen from them. Not because they said, we're going to put a tax on you for being a believer in this land, but something deeper, something harder. That's who Hebrews 11 was written to. People who needed a Hebrews 11. God does not waste his words. He doesn't speak things to people who don't need something now or in the future. When he speaks, it's serious. So when he says this in Hebrews 12, 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Great spiritual realities, right? What am I supposed to do with that? Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Just as real as coming into the presence of God is for these persecuted believers. He said, let's hold our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And he doesn't stop. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
which means you've got to be around someone to know how to do it. Because motivating Richard may not be the way you motivate me. It may not be the way to motivate you. We have to know how to tailor even our words to people, where they are. And that means relationship. That means I know the people here. I don't skip out on things because I know I need you. I'm going to need you. And then he says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Come on, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, lighten up. Don't you know that brother so-and-so just lost his business? Don't you know my wife's not a believer? Don't you know it's hard to follow Jesus? What's wrong with you? You're out of touch. You're not sensitive. Don't you know my emotional and mental needs? Yeah, I do, and I know your spiritual needs. And I know that if you can get your spiritual needs met by Jesus, it will flow out to heal and touch and minister courage and boldness to your mind and healing to your emotions. I was reading this week that there was a brother overseas and he was at his wedding. Some guy showed up acting Brody, talking smack to him, things like this. He confronts him. He doesn't want to leave. It's a big scene. Really rough. Next day, he's out. He's around the town. Something's going on. Or he reports it to the police station. 10 to 15 guys jump him. Break a bone in his body. 10 to 15 guys jumping you. What do you think that feels like emotionally? I mean, you have a rough birth with your child. You have PTSD. You wake up with night sweats. You can imagine if you've been through anything in life, when you woke up and you were like anxious, and you're like, you actually had to catch your breath. And it took a minute to get through that thing in life. The loss of a loved one, a miscarriage, anything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was like that for that man. And in the prayer request for that brother overseas, it said, pray for him mentally and emotionally. Because he's struggling being jumped by 10 to 15 guys and having his arm broken. That's the kind of people he's talking about. And you're saying to me, in that situation, don't neglect the people of God. As some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. My goodness, we're going to need encouragement. I need encouragement now. I need encouragement now. I'm going to need encouragement then. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church, it is more than just songs and an offering and a message and self-help tips. It can be what we want it to be. It could be life. It could be everything that Jesus has said it is if we allow it to be in us. So what is our best preparation right now? What's our best preparation for all of these things, which could be months, years, or maybe another generation away? Who knows? Aggressively serving and loving Jesus now. You train for the marathon before it comes. Piece by piece, you don't go out there and read like 20 biographies of a martyr in the next week and a half. Memorize all the New Testament. Learn how to fast for three weeks at a time. And all this stuff. Because there's no saying that you're going to need necessarily any one of those individual items or tools as it would be spiritually in that moment. We just want to draw close to Jesus. We just want to let him do everything he wants to do in us now. And we can trust that the one who said that he is going to conform us to his son's image... And who has prepared good works for us to walk in long before eternity, long before time ever existed. He knows what we're going to face. And if I'll listen to his voice now, I will be fully prepared for the path ahead. I don't have to stress. 
I just have to draw near and to abide. And if it's a moment where someone's backhanding me, everything within me now says, I don't think I can take it then. Perhaps the Holy Ghost is going to rise up in me in that moment and say, you sure you don't want to hit this side too? There was a woman named Corrie Boom. Some of you have heard of The Hiding Place. Uh, I've never read the book, but I've heard lots about her. She was in the Netherlands during World War II. Her family was hiding Jewish people. The Netherlands had the highest percentage of Jewish people sent off to concentration camps that never returned. And th- she had a quiet hiding place built into the home. Somehow got um, the equivalent of food stamps and such there, ration cards to help them survive. They did it for a while. So one day she was caught. She only spent about 10 or 11 months in a concentration camp herself for doing this. But it was horrendous. What happened to the ladies in that camp? The brutality? It was horrendous. She got out. She served Jesus. She was released by accident. A clerical error. I tend to think not. Some people say, oh, it's by coincidence. I th- sometimes I like to say it's a God incident. No, God wanted that. God got her out so she could testify to us what it is to forgive your enemies. One day she's speaking and she actually sees one of the men that was a soldier and a guard in that facility who committed some of these things. And he came up to her. She forgave him. What would you do? The tide's turned. She has the power. She forgave him. And we have to remember that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They are given to a people who expect persecution. Peace that passes understanding, still valid. Keep me in in the fire and the flood, still good. Coming back for me, oh, it's even sweeter now, Jesus. Able to do above all I can think or imagine or ask. Guess what, brother, in prison cell three? That's still true. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Still doesn't want me to be anxious. Don't know how that's humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. But by His Spirit, by His grace, He can do it in me. And He's still a financial provider. If I go to jail, I'm going to need my wife and kids to be cared for. I can actually still claim that promise and prayer that He gave to me. I don't know how you're going to do it. But you said you would. Still the God of miracles. Did y'all see that video? 17 years singing this song every morning. Guys throwing feces and paper and be quiet. We don't want to hear your song every morning. We're part of the kingdom of darkness. We don't care. Till one day, they bring him out to his death. And as he's going out, 1,200 men raise their hands. And I believe moved by the Spirit of God and in honor of this man, sing in unison a choir. That song he sang of worship every single day. And they let him go because they say, Who are you? I am the son of the most high God. I belong to Jesus. Miracles will still happen. And perhaps the miracle will be to stay strong in the midst of it. I am not forsaken. I will never be alone. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Let me hold it close every day, Jesus. Every day. 
Even if I never face a prison sentence, even if it's just a, you know, some of that can be maybe harder. Maybe it would be easier sometimes if we were just openly slapped and we saw where the lines were. It's hard in the gray areas where we live right now, college campus everywhere. It's hard to navigate that, which is why we've got to walk close to Jesus. And musicians, music people, y'all can come up. Jesus has gone before us and shown us what it is to suffer and that the grace of God has no limits. No limits. And just like Corey Ten Boom quoted from one of the ladies that was also in prison, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. No matter what you're in, no matter what you're going through, His love finds you there. Just like that beautiful image that Shannon posted on Facebook. She was there getting a treatment, but she knew, though she couldn't see him, he was right there with her. Right there in that place where there should be depression and pain and all these things. She knew his presence. She felt his love. Hallelujah. Praise God. And y'all can play. And so, I just want to encourage us that in a response, we could just say, do this in me. Whatever this is. Whatever that looks like. I'm not running a marathon of persecution or something like this tomorrow. I'm here. You're my shepherd. You have my days numbered. I can trust you. I can rest. I can have peace. I don't have to be nervous. But I really want this soberness of mind. And I really want to walk with you. I really want to hear you now. Because you say I'm going to face it. And I want to face it well. Whatever it looks like. So I want to invite you to do that wherever you are. What will my response to God be? What will my response to the enemy be? The enemy of my soul when he comes in and your failure. You're an idiot. You're stupid. Just give up. You know your family would be better off if you did this. Do you know your career prospects? Just shut your mouth. Don't speak up in the classroom. Don't speak up on the job site when I'm telling you to speak. Just give in to me. We say, go away in Jesus' name. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. God, help me to do whatever it is right now. And what, what will my response to the people doing it be? Only Jesus can help me. And I want to invite, if you're here tonight, and you're like, man, this sounds heavy. But my goodness, it also says that they, after they were beaten in Acts chapter 5, beaten went back home. And do you know what their response to persecution was? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy. Worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus.